Welcome to the podcast for Real Church. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at East Coweta High School in Sharpsburg. We invite you to join us for our energetic and passionate worship services. Check us out at realchurchcoweta.com or search for us on Facebook at Real Church Coweta. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Today, today, um, the, the uh, message, the lesson, whatever you want to call it, uh, it's going to be something that we all deal with, uh, whether you admit it or not. At some point in your life, you have to decide uh, whether or not uh, you're going to, well, you have to make a decision, really. Um, in, in your spiritual walk, and really in your walk as, as a human being, but in your spiritual walk, you have to make a decision. Um, and a lot of people walk around not making this decision, uh, and they don't live a life that they really could be living, and they're miserable, and they end up going through all kinds of hardships because they don't make this decision. And so I do have another video to show you guys real quick. Um, Check this video out real quick, and then I'll come back to you, okay? Go ahead. I think the most difficult thing in my spiritual journey has been letting go of control. I cling to it, and I think that I can manage it and take care of it when I need to remember to just let go and let God lead the way and take control of it. I accepted Christ, I got baptized, and came to learn that God wants to be in control. Giving up control in dating and companionship is a hard one. I went through a broken engagement a few years ago. Uh, when that engagement fell apart, it I fell apart, honestly. Um, it wasn't an easy thing to go through, but I know that ultimately he wasn't who I was meant to be with. And in that moment, I can remember thinking that even though it didn't work out, God is behind the scenes of it. You're at your lowest, but he'll bring you out of the ashes. I am a single mom, had a son at 24. I think the correlation of being a single mom and control is that I'm the only one I have to depend on and who my son has to look to. So if I'm not the one taking care of it, who's going to? And learning to just let him, God, lead me, it's, he proves it over and over that he's there. Another lesson I had to learn was in trusting God with my money. I tend to cling on to that because that's the one thing I had felt I had control over. And we were sitting in service and Pastor Steve asked us to tithe for 90 days and felt that tug in my heart sitting there. And I knew that that was the last missing link of fully letting go. What I think God has taught me through the discipline of tithing is that even at your lowest low or your highest high, He's always going to be there. learning that giving up control can be a scary thing, but God wants to be in control. 
if you just hand it over to him, he's got your back. And I think he's always there asking for you to hand it over because he doesn't want us to bear those burdens. And it's just been a great relief to hand it over to him and feel that heaviness just roll right off. So the message today is not about tithing. It's not, even though I encourage you to do that, by the way. But it's not about tithing today. Hey, listen, um, I think every one of us had something that happened to us, whether it was real or imaginative in our minds when we were younger. I think we all have had something that happened to us in our lives where we have felt like we were out of control or we had to grasp control of the situation in order to be okay. I think we've all had that. For me, as I've shared with you before, I grew up in an alcoholic home. Now, what's funny about that is, is that I have, I have a few aunts and uncles that will listen to this message today. They always tell me that they listen to it. I don't know that they'll agree with me that I grew up in an alcoholic home, okay? It's very difficult, it's very difficult to be honest and not hide things whenever you grow up in an alcoholic home. Now, my dad wasn't an everyday drunk. My dad was a great person. He was awesome to be around. He was fun. He loved me. He loved my brothers. But on the weekends, man, he, uh, he, 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 he put the pedal to the metal and let it roll. I'll just put it that way. <clears throat> All right? And, and there were various things that would happen as a result of that alcoholism. One of the things that would happen is, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but in an alcoholic home, there's a common thread, and the common thread is this. It's chaos, all right? It's chaos. You never know what's going to come next, and you don't know how to prepare for that as a kid, all right? And so if you don't know how to prepare for it as a kid, you never know what's going to come next. And so what you do is, is you latch on to any little thing that you can control. Are you with me? You latch on to any little thing that you can control. You, you literally <clears throat> will say, okay, maybe I can't control all these other things, but these things here I can control. And so what happens is as you grow up and as you grow older, those things that you have control over get larger and larger and larger and larger, and it manifests itself in various ways. It manifests itself in various ways. Now, you, a lot of people don't even know, they don't realize that this is happening, and they don't realize, I mean, I, I wasn't there six years old thinking, hmm, my dad just came in and punched the wall, a hole in my wall, therefore, I'm going to control this in my life. That's not what I did. It's not what any of us do. What we did, what I did, is I set up some natural barriers that would help me, that would help me deal with the fact that I was fearful. That would help me deal with the fact that I was afraid. That would help me deal with the fact that I wasn't sure whether or not I was going to hear a gunshot in the middle of the night. I had no idea. I knew my dad had a gun in the top drawer. and knew my mom had argued all the time when he was drunk. So I didn't know what was going to happen. And I have a feeling I'm probably jiving with a couple of you guys here too. You just don't know. And so what you do is, is you set up these mechanisms to deal with that. Some of you may have lost a loved one, maybe lost a family member, lost someone, and you set up a mechanism to deal with that. As a matter of fact, for most of us, what we do, when something like that happens, we draw everything in really close. And we control it. 
And we limit ourselves, we limit our relationships, we limit ourselves, we limit our impact, we limit a lot of things. Because we think that if we have this control that this thing won't happen again. Or that won't happen again. Or, and you know what? It may not happen again. But you live the rest of your life walking around feeling like you have control over a situation and you soon learn that you do not. One of the things our high schoolers are going to experience in about a month, they think right now, uh, some of y'all think right now that you're going to be going off to college and you're going to be free. Okay? I'm going to be free. Right up until they meet the person responsible for the dorms. Okay? Then they realize they're not free. And then they go to their first class. And they realize they're really not free. And on and on and on. They get their first job on campus and they realize they're not free. They, and, they, and it goes on and on and on. And we do the same thing as adults. We do. I'm convinced that one of the biggest things that we deal with, one of the biggest things that we deal with as a Christian body, as a group of people that love God and want to follow Jesus, a group of people that need His mercy and need His grace, one of the biggest things that hinder us from walking fully with God is that we're unable and unwilling to give up control. We will not do it. And I know that because I see people's behavior. It's really crazy. Whenever you work in in mental facilities, okay, one of the things that happens when you work when someone's an inpatient, and I've done that for years and so has my wife, but one of the things you have to become an expert at is you have to become an expert at body language and at looking at others' body language and reading other people because you don't know what's coming next. Are you with me? I've been literally chased down the hall by a naked 60-year-old woman getting beat by a purse. I was getting beat by the purse. She wasn't getting beat by the purse. No one thinks that's funny because I thought it was pretty hilarious. I mean, I mean, me running down a hall with a naked 60-year-old lady with wrinkles and sags everywhere, slinging the purse, hitting me over the head with a purse. Uh, you have to kind of get on your toes and stay on your toes. And you have to read people. You have to learn to read people. And one of the things that I see more than anything is I see people unwilling, unwilling to fully open themselves up and to give God the control that he desires. Oh, you'll come up and say, I surrender. I actually titled this message Lessons from the Lazy River. Lessons from the Lazy River. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But we oftentimes don't want to give God the control. We say, God, I want to serve you and I'll follow you but I'm going to still control my life. I'm going to still control how I behave with one another and when, when my relationships. I'm still going to control whether or not I do this or do that. I'm still going to control this and this and this and this. And I'm, not going, to, I'm going to let you go to certain parts, but I'm not going to let you go to the deepest parts. And there's a story in the Old Testament that's kind of like this. There's a story of a guy named Gideon. And we've talked about Gideon before. But Gideon was a guy who was a wimp. All right? He was kind of a wimp. And in the book of Judges, what's happened is is that they've taken the promised land, they've taken portions of the promised land, and they continue to take portions of the promised land, and judge after judge, God appointed, God was the king over Israel, but judge after judge would come forth and would lead them into some type of battle. God would choose those people. 
Gideon was one of those people. Now, Gideon, as I've told you this before, Gideon's name, you know, the names in the, the Israelite names meant something, all right? Gideon's name literally meant loaf of bread. That's what it, that's what it meant. And I've told you that before. Loaf of bread. And the first time we see Gideon, we see Gideon come on the scene and there's an angel that appears and it says, Arise, mighty warrior. And Gideon's like, Is there someone behind me that's a mighty warrior? Because I'm a loaf of bread. All right? I'm a loaf of bread here. Arise, mighty warrior. And so we see a scenario play out with Gideon that goes like this. It, and and it, it's, it starts around chapter 6. But Gideon starts to interact with God. And God says, I want you to do this and this and this. And Gideon starts kind of bargaining here and there. As a matter of fact, Gideon wants so badly to know that he hears from God. He says, all right, God, here's what I'm going to do. And I'll paraphrase it. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lay this rug out. And if the rug's wet in the morning, but only the rug, then I'll do what you say. Next morning, only the rug's wet. All right, God. So get this. Next tonight, I'm going to lay out, I'm going to lay out another rug, but I don't want the rug to be wet. I want it to be dry, and I want everything else to be wet. And he kept doing these things with God. Listen, okay, so tomorrow night, here's what I want. I have to know that I have to know that I have to know that I have to know. I want to know that I know. Aren't we like that sometimes? Aren't sometimes we like, you know, I just don't know if I need to do this or not. So uh, uh, it, God, make this happen. And God may make it happen. Oh, oh okay, okay. Make this happen. Okay. I'm going to make this happen. It's so funny. I have people all the time come to me and say, will you pray for me? And I said, sure. And I pray for them. What's going on? Well, I'm dealing with this particular issue. And it just so happens that I know that they've dealt with that particular issue for a long time. And it's like the old story where the guy, and I know you've heard it before, but where, where the guy is drowning in a flood. And he, he gets on his front porch and a boat comes by and says, hey, come on, man, we'll save you. And he said, nope, God's going to save me. And then he climbs up on top of his little outhouse building. And another boat comes by and says, listen, come on, man, we'll save you. No, God's going to save me. And then he climbs up on the top of his roof. And he's sitting right there at the porch of the, at the steep of his roof. And the boat comes by and says, man, get on. He said, nope, God's going to save me. And so he climbs to the very top of the chimney and a helicopter hovers over. Come on. Grab the rope. Nope, God's going to save me. And he dies. And he goes to heaven. He comes up and says, God, you said you would save me. And God says, listen, I sent you three boats and a helicopter. What else do you want? What else do you want? So people come to me and they tell me these things. And I know they've already gotten people that have come to them and said, hey, listen, this is an issue I see in your life. This is an issue I see. That's an issue I see. Yet we don't want to change. And Gideon was kind of like that. He didn't really trust God. He really didn't. And so we're going to read, we're going to read the text starting in chapter 7. So Gideon has gotten his confirmation from God, and he says, and it's a Jerubbabel is Gideon, it says, So Gideon and his army got up early and went as far as the spring of Herod. The armies of the Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. All right, and then we'll, I'm going to read it from verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many warriors with you. If I let you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. So therefore, tell the people, Whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. 
So 22,000 then went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. Now here's the scenario. Gideon has decided he's going to trust God. He's decided he's going to give up control and he's going to allow God to have control. But he also has about 32,000 people with him going to fight, men going to fight. So you ever had that scenario where you're trusting God because you've got a huge savings account? How many know that it's kind of easier to trust God with your money if you've got a big old savings account? You guys know that? It is, isn't it? It's really easy to trust God whenever you... It's funny, I, I listen to a guy named Dave Ramsey. I'm sure you guys listen to him too. Some of y'all do. But, and Dave, he, he is, his system works really well. But he makes it sound really easy, and it's not easy. It's easy for him because he's a multi, multi, multi-millionaire. And so paying cash for a car for him is pretty doggone easy. He can write a check, okay? Um, but it's, it's difficult whenever you don't have those kind of funds. Well, here's the situation. Gideon's like, hey, listen, God, I did the whole water thing. You called me mighty warrior. I thought I was a loaf of bread. I stood out. I laid out these things. It all happened the way you said. I'm going to trust you, and we're going to have these 32,000 men here with me. And so God says, hey, listen, you got too many men. You got too many men. So do this. Tell the men that are sissies to go home. And 22 pansies hit the road. That's what happened. That's exactly what happened. If you're scared, they're going to fight this huge army. If you're scared, go home. Can I tell you guys something? All of them were scared. All of them were scared. But 10,000 said, no, 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 we're going to stay. We're going to stay. And so Gideon's like, my name is Barley Loaf. I had... He called me Mighty Warrior. I kind of bought it a little bit, but not really. And so he told me all these things, and I laid out these fleeces and stuff, and he went one side and the other side, and we did, all these, we did a little dance every night. And all of a sudden, I've got 32,000. Now I'm dealing with 10,000. So it's like, man, 10,000. Okay, I'll do it. 10,000. I'll do it. 10,000. But the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. How do you think Gideon felt when he heard that? There's still too many. What are you talking about? There's still too many. Dude, I had 32,000. And now I've only got 10,000 to fight this huge army? What are you talking about? And then God gets really, really funny. Okay, this is one of the strangest scriptures I've ever read. Let me just say that. Bring them, there are still too many, bring them down to the spring, and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. And Gideon's got to be saying, okay, I'm going to take them down to the lake here. We're going to go to the lake. We're going to have a little stream. I'm going to go down. Okay, well, what's going to happen? When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all those who cup water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like a dog. In the other group, put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths from the stream. And only 300 of the men drank with their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths from the stream. So the Lord told Gideon, With these 300 men, 
who used their hands and lapped it up with their tongues like a dog. I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. So, what do you think Gideon was thinking? What would you be thinking? Let me ask you a question. This is a little poll here, and you can raise your hand. How many of you would have grabbed it with your hands? I would have. Okay, now here's the thing. Let's just pause here. The sermon has officially stopped. Don't you want to see what you're drinking in your hands? For those that didn't raise your hand. When you scoop it up, I mean, I'm looking for like little turdies and all those little things. You know what I'm saying? I'm looking for little like parasites and leaves and stuff like that. And he said, no, those people, you keep those. And I'm kind of shocked. 9,700 of those people got down on all fours and started sucking out of that water. I'm telling you, I'd send them home too. I'm like, all right, dude, don't talk to me with river breath. You know what I'm saying? Could you believe that? And so Gideon was left with only 300. 300. 300. Can I tell you something about control? The first thing I want to tell you about control is this. And Gideon was so out of control and so uncomfortable and so trying to save everything he could and grasp for everything. Here's the first thing I want to tell you about control is you have to decide how much you will give over to God. You have to decide as far as control goes how much you're going to give over to God. It's possible. I want you to hear this. It's possible to be saved and go into heaven but be miserable here on earth because you never gave up control to God. I want you to hear that again. It's possible for you to be saved and heaven-bound, but be miserable here on earth because you never decided to give up control. I think one of the saddest things I've ever seen is a 75-year-old baby Christian who never decided to give up control to God. And I want you to hear this too. The amount you decide to give over to God is directly related to the level of your joy and your peace here on earth. I want you to hear that. The amount you're willing to give up to God, the amount you're willing to give over to God is directly related to your joy and to your peace here on earth. In the Old Testament, they had a a sacrificial system. And they would go and they would kill these rams. And we see that whenever... We see it whenever we see the Passovers and they would go and they would kill the lambs and they would put them on this altar. There was this big uh, altar type. It was, a, it was a, a stone altar. And they would go and they would, they, would, they would kill these rams and they would sacrifice these animals on the altar for the atonement of the people's sins. And that's what they would do. They would kill the animal. In the New Testament, though, there's something different. The New Testament in Romans chapter 12.1, if we have that, Romans 12.1, it says this. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God for all he has done for you. Let them be a, listen to this, a living and holy sacrifice. Are you with me? A living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. A living and holy sacrifice. Here's the issue that we have with control. 
The issue is, is that we literally are not dead when we lay on the altar. God says that we are to be a living sacrifice. You know what that means? That means that every morning when you wake up, you have to decide for that particular day if you're going to stay on the altar where God wants you and be a living sacrifice and give your whole life over to him, or if you're going to get off that altar and go do your own thing and be in control. That's what it means. It means that we are to be a living sacrifice. That's why it says this is the way to worship him. The way you worship him, truly worship him, is to be a living sacrifice because there's something amazing about you choosing to stay on the altar even when you really know that you want to be in control, but you give up the control so that God has control and can work in your life. It's one of the biggest issues that we face is not staying on the altar of God. And we have to decide that daily. That's why the text scripture says, it says, die daily to yourself. Die daily to yourself. That's what it means. It means that you have to go and lay yourself on the altar and say, I'm staying here and I'll let you work in my life. I'm staying here and I'll let you work in my life. And that's exactly what we have to do. That's exactly what Gideon had to do as well. Gideon had to say, listen, I don't care even if I do have the 300 smart ones that had it in their hands, okay? Even if I do got those guys, even if I only have 300, I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust what God has to say. Here's the second thing I want you to know about control, and it says, our control is a lie anyway. I want you to get that. Your control is a lie anyway. You know when this really hit me in the head? I mean, hit me right in the head. Big old knot on my head. You can see it for days. You know when it really hit me? Whenever we had the financial downturn. Remember in the financial downturn in like 2007 and 2008? Remember that? Remember all the people that looked like they were in so much control? Maybe you or maybe me. Remember when we had the financial downturn and everyone looked like they had so much control? They looked like they were so in control until the financial downturn. And you know what happened in the financial downturn? This had made this happen, which made this happen, which made this happen, which made this happen. And all these things started to affect all of us. And even maybe some people that thought they were financially secure started watching their 401ks go down and down and down and down and down. And they started watching their home prices sink lower and lower and lower. How many people would check online daily or weekly or monthly to see what your house was worth and how much it had fallen down? Did you do that? I did that. I did that. I was worried about that. I was worried about it. Can I tell you something? That proved to me I have zero control. Zero control. Someone can bomb a World Trade Center and rock my whole financial world, and I have zero control. Someone can do something here in America and rock. Someone can do something overseas and affect my 401k, affect my retirement. Someone can do, you know, what was really sad is, is there was a lot of schools. You know, the school system is usually a place where if you got a school system job, you're pretty, you're pretty good, all right? You, you know, I mean, every town needs a, a school and a Paul and a, and a, and a, and a uh, I don't know I want to say coroner but it's not that a funeral home director the people with the cold hands whatever um, you know what I'm saying those those are pretty strong job security right there all right um, and and but whenever the downturn happened the finances started going so low that there were lots of school systems that laid people off 
The school system, people had been at work 20, 25 years. They had their whole, oh man, I've been working all these, I've been pouring my life into this. And they all, all of a sudden it was gone. A lot of people that worked for the airlines also experienced this way back in the day. You thought you had all these financial securities and everything was secure and everything was fine and everything was laid out for you. But here's the truth. It's a lie. It's a lie. Which is why I want to encourage you not to look to your 401k for the control that you see, not to look to your retirement, not to look for your paycheck, not to look for your house or your car, not to look to all those things for your provision. Your provision lies not in all those things, but in God himself. God himself is your provision, and he wants to be that provision. But our control, our control is a lie. It's a lie. The scripture says in John chapter 4, I love this scripture. It says, look here, you who say today or tomorrow, we're going to go to a certain town and we'll be stay there for a year. We will do business there and make profit. How do you know what your life's going to be like tomorrow? And I love it. It says, your life is like a morning fog. And another text says, your life is like a mist. It's here a little while and then it's gone. We went, we went whale watching whenever we were in Maine, all right? And I'm not going to lie to you, plopping down 100 bucks to go on a boat 20-something miles out to look for a bunch of whales, I was a little sketchy about it because I was like, what if we don't see any whales? You know what I'm saying? And so then we saw one little whale that went like, bloop, and that was it. And I was like, was that it? Was that the only whale? Because that was like, not good. But what would happen was you had to look for this, okay? The whale would go, and a mist would come up, and that's what you had to look for. And all of a sudden, once they did that, they were coming up out of the water. So a mist would come up. But here's the situation. The mist would only be there like three seconds. As a matter of fact, this is the grossest thing ever. One of the whales was so close that it went, and the mist got on the people in the front of the boat. Whale snot got on the people in the front of the boat. The lady said that. She said, uh, you might want to protect your cameras and stuff because it's kind of sticky. And I was like, that's booger. That's sticky. That's not, you know what I mean? Mist. And it would come on. The scripture says this. Do you really think that you have control of your life? Do you really think that you can make plans and say, yes, I'm going to go here and there and yonder. I'm going to do all these various things. The scripture says, hey, listen. What you should say is if God wills, then we'll do this and we'll do that. You know why? Because God is the one in control, not you. Not you. It's sad to say, it's sad to say, but every person, every person who has ever passed away, for the most part, that wasn't their plan. It wasn't their goal. That wasn't what they had in mind. Every person. It came unexpectedly. Maybe it came after a long illness. Maybe it came, but it wasn't their plan. Let's be honest here, guys. None of us know when we're going to be taken. None of us know what happens. You don't know what happens when you walk outside this door. You don't, and I don't either. It's really by faith that we trust God. It's by faith that we trust him. And a lot, let, me, let me say this. A lot of people think that when you give God the control that your life's going to be great. And I'm telling you, it's not necessarily going to be great in your definition, 
But you, when you go through the tough times, you'll have a joy and a peace. That's what you'll have. <clears throat> Scripture says this. It says in the Old Testament, there's a story about, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I want you to see something. God did not deliver them from the fire. God went into the fire with them. He walked with them. They gave him control, and they said, even if he doesn't save us, I don't care. We're still going to worship God. He has control over our lives. They gave up control. The scripture says that there was four in the fire, and Nebuchadnezzar said, I think the fourth one looks like the Son of God. He was in the fire with them. And the scripture says they came out, and they didn't even smell a smoke. I would rather be someone, I would rather be someone who, who trusts God enough where people say, I don't know how you're going through that and living through that, and you have the attitude that you have. See, our natural tendency is to get angry and mad and bitter, but the reality is, the reality is, is that if we've given up control to God, if we've given up control to God, He gives us the joy and the peace even in the hardest circumstances. We can still look to that. We still have a hope, and we still have a future, both here and in heaven. The final thing is this, and I say this every week, and I want to pound it in your head. If you don't ever learn anything else from me, I want you to learn this. God can be trusted. God can be trusted. He can be trusted. <clears throat> he can. One of, the, um, one of the favorite things I love to do on any vacation, anytime, is I love going to a water park. Like, I love going to water parks. Some people like going to the beach and stuff, and, and that's fine, I guess, but I like going to the water parks. And I don't go to the water parks because I like all the rides. I go to the water parks because I like the lazy river. Anybody else like the lazy river? Just me and Suzanne. <clears throat> the lazy river. That has my name written all over it. Every once in a while, you'll get in the lazy river, and these kids will come by. You know those kids I'm talking about, the ones whose parents are horrible and they need parenting skills? You know, the ones that go underneath your float and hit you on, they hit your butt with your head and with their head, and you know that one? You know that, those kids? And they, they don't, listen, if you're, let me, if you're in the lazy river, get on a tube, all right? If you want to swim, go swim in the pool. It's a lazy river. The goal is, is to get on the tube, to lay back, and to go wherever you want to go. Wherever it goes, you go. And you get spun around, and you're there with other people, and thank God it's a smoke-free environment, you know, like, like tubing. Tubing is a whole other issue, y'all. <laughs> hell, we're going tubing in hell in a few weeks. Pray for us. But... Uh, we just lay back in that, I love laying back in that lazy river and just letting it kind of meander through. And, and, and every once in a while, like the one in Disney, I love the one in Disney. Uh, you go under and there's this part, if, you don't, if you're not watching, it's super hot. And all of a sudden, ice cold water comes down on you. You guys know the one I'm talking about? That's Satan's cave or whatever it's called. But it's like water coming all over you. Ice cold. But I love being in the lazy river. You know why? Because I can just let go. And I don't have to worry about where my kid is because Wendy's watching him. And uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> Unlike the other parents who don't worry about their kid at all, I'm watching them. Um, but, but, you know, 
I like getting in the Lazy River because it just meanders you through and you just go through and there's, there's little bumps and turns and things happen here and there. And like I said, you come through some hard times when the kids come under you and about knock you over. And, and sometimes you get all plugged up and you have to try to you know, move your arms, but you don't want to move it too much because there's other people in the Lazy River and you don't want to touch anything. Awkward. You know what I'm saying? You're trying to move around. But you just kind of go wherever it takes you. You know what I mean? It go. One of the things that I love in my mind thinking is this. My life... And life in general is like a river. And God is asking us to get on our float and jump in and go along for the ride. Give up control. See, once I get on that tube, now there's some people that don't give up control on the tube. They stand in the tube and walk in it. and all, Not me, Jack. As a matter of fact, I'm the guy that looks for the two, you know, two tubes in one. I try to look for that because then you can really lay out, all right? I, sometimes I block up the stream, but sometimes you can really lay out. But there's some people that don't do that. You can tell they haven't given up their control issues in the Lazy River, but not me. I literally, when we go to Disney, I go over to the Lazy River and I stay there for a few hours at a time. It just gets my brain right. I meander through there. and I let, That's how I kind of think about God and my life with him. Not that I'm lazy, but that I let God take me wherever he wants to take me. And if he wants me to experience this thing or that thing or this thing or that thing, I know without a shadow of a doubt that he is in control and I trust him. I don't trust my bank account. I don't trust what other people say. I don't trust uh, what I think my job security is. I, don't, I trust God to take me wherever he wants me to go. And that is the hardest lesson that I have learned in my Christian walk, especially growing up in a house that was chaotic. And that, in my opinion, will be the hardest lesson that you have to learn as well. But once you learn it, you recognize that the job you have and the money you have and the stuff you have they all lose sight in what God is doing in your life and with your life. The truth of the matter is, is that for the most of us here today, I can say this, I believe, your life has turned out a lot better than you probably thought it was going to be. Your kids have turned out a lot better. Maybe one or two of you hadn't, but anyway, your kids have turned out a lot better. You can't believe who God's blessed you with. You can't believe the house you have or the car you drive or whatever. For a lot of you, your life turned out a lot better than you thought. Give glory to the one that provided that for you. And give up control because he can be trusted. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much that we had a time of less, a lesson and teaching and not necessarily a sermon. I'm thankful for uh, the people that came today, God. I know there's, we have lots of people out of town for the fourth coming up, and I'm thankful for the people that came today. God, do great things in their life, and Lord, let them recognize the need to give up control. Embrace your life that you have for us. God, in one text it says that the best thing we can do for you is to embrace the life that you give us. And God, I ask us to do that now.
as we close out with this final song in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this message from Real Church Coweta. If you have any questions or if you'd like to contact us at Real Church, please go to our website at www.realchurchcoweta.com and you'll find our contact information under the contact tab. We would like to have you join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays at East Coweta High in Sharpsburg. Until next time, God bless you and take care.